From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk. There are people who would say they know Jesus Christ, but in reality, do they really know Jesus Christ? We're picking up where we left off last week in the second chapter of 1 John. John is known as the disciple of love, but before he takes us too deeply into the subject of love, he has something to say about our actions as followers of Jesus Christ and how those actions show that we really know Jesus. Now here's Pastor Clay. Last week, uh, we started into 1 John uh, chapter 2. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, discusses several topics or ideas, but they all kind of focus around this this priority of love and what it looks like and how it plays out and, and what it means and uh, that sort of thing, uh, the, the correlation of, between love and, and truth and all that kind of stuff that I talked about when we introduced uh, 1 John. We walked through uh, chapter 1. Last week we started in chapter 2 and uh, didn't get quite as far in that as I'd originally uh, planned to. We're going to finish it up uh, today and really in a few, few minutes and let you uh, leave here hopefully with your hearts full uh, and with your mind full as well, with the opportunity to think about God's Word and its implication and its application uh, for all of our lives. You know, that, that, that is part of the point of this. I said, I, mean, I think it's been a couple weeks ago, but I, I mentioned that, that part of the role of a pastor, uh, sure, is, to, is to, to give truth and to hopefully to, uh, to educate uh, to some degree. Somebody says, oh, I didn't realize that was in the Bible, or I'd never read that before, or something like that. Sure, that's, that's part of it. But, uh, but a large uh, part of it also is just uh, motivation or, or exhortation that in the few moments that we're together, uh, to, that, that God would use that to spark something in your heart or in your life that would say, wow, where am I in this? Or what do I need to do about this? Or how can I know more about that? That's really, uh, really part of it. Because hopefully in a week's, during the process of a week's time, uh, you end up spending far more time in God's Word alone than you do for the 40 or 45 minutes oftentimes that we do uh, in here. Amen? Okay, so uh, First John, uh, we're talking about uh, this... This idea, well, let's just get into it. Let me look at, let me just uh, bring back up real quickly what uh, we started with last week, this first idea, which was this, that uh, John starts with. We know what we shouldn't do. It is not muddy water. It's not like it's, well, I'm not really sure. We know what we shouldn't do. In, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, first part of verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not, What? sin, that you may not sin. I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. Last week we talked about some of the heresies that were beginning to surface within the body of the, of, of the church and uh, how that played into some of John's writings and why he's writing this letter. And, and we discussed antinomianism, this idea that, that it's all about grace and we're saved by grace, which is absolutely a theological truth. But because we're saved by grace, it means that we can live our life any way we want. We can do anything we want. I'm covered. I'm good. I'm under grace. And, and John says, no, ho, 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 back the train up, folks. I'm writing these things to you so that you understand crystal clear that we may not sin. By the way, do you, do you understand what sin is? Now, you're, you're a bright crowd. I, I'm not ch- challenging your intelligence level. But, but I ask that question because we are living in a culture. We're living in a day where it's becoming harder and harder, it seems, for our culture to, to really define anything as, as sin. It's, it's becoming tough, right? Probably the best definition that I've ever come across uh, for a definition of sin 
looks like this. Uh, Sin is to say, do, or think anything that God would not. That, in essence, is what sin is. Because God is holy, because God is purity, because God, that whole idea of light, John draws that analogy of light and darkness, because, because God is perfection, then anything other than that, to, to say or speak words or, or, or say something to someone that God would not, is, come on, say it. It's sin. To think thoughts uh, about another person or... Uh, to whatever it might be, to covet something or to, to, and God would not think that, it is sin. To do something, to take some action, uh, to, to gossip about somebody or to, to uh, steal from somebody or, what, you know, it can, it can be a lot of different things. To, or to ignore somebody or to, to not extend love to somebody. We're going to talk about that uh, today. If, if, if it's an action that God would not take, it is Sin it is to say, do, or think anything that God would not. That, in essence, is what sin is. And John says, I'm writing to you, little children, that you may not, that you will not sin. By the way, Google's definition of sin wasn't bad either. I was rather surprised by this, and quite honestly, an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. That's sin. And John says... Listen, we know what we shouldn't do. We, we shouldn't give in. We shouldn't. And we talked about it in chapter 1. We talked about it earlier. It doesn't mean we're, we've reached sinless perfection. We've walked through all of that. You can go back and listen to those messages. But he's saying, let's not kid ourselves. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a free pass to sin. No. We're sa- grace actually empowers us to be able to walk away from and have victory over temptations in our life. Okay? Second idea that we did get to uh, last week was this. Uh, oh, yeah, thank you, Tyler. I did want to did just hash this real quick before I move on to the second one. I did want to just remind you, and if you weren't here, you just heard, I just want you to understand. Again, I, I just need to emphasize, because I, I think I find people all the time that just think God just, just wants to be, you know, a downer. God wants to take away people's uh, fun. He wants to take away their good time, right? And can, can we get honest? Can we say that, that things that, that we could find in God's word that says, don't go in that direction. That, that don't, don't do that. Can we, can we agree that, that we have a pull towards that and those, that there's a certain aspect of, of enjoyment or pleasure that we find in that sin? Right? And so we don't like it if, if somebody says, don't do that. That's, that's wrong, right? I, I think I've told you all this before, but my pastor I grew up under, Pastor Whipple, used to say, uh, anybody that says sin isn't fun hasn't tried the right sin. There, there's, there's an aspect of it that there's something that we indulge in or that we, that we enjoy or whatever. And so, so the idea that, that this, this divine uh, omniscient power would come along and say, that's wrong, don't do that. We, we, we think, well, he's just trying to rain on everybody's parade. No, when God calls something sin, when he declares that something is wrong and you should not do it, he is doing so, uh, for one thing, because sin is destructive to us. That's what we need to understand. It's God... God knows us. He knows you. And he knows what is harmful to you physically, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and most importantly, spiritually. And so if God says, don't do this, believe me when I tell you, he has your best interests at heart. He's not just saying, uh, I don't think I'm going to let him do that. No, no, no. 
It's destructive, ladies and gentlemen. I gave some examples last week. We won't go back through that again. By the way, the, I gave the example of, of, of uh, sexual uh, sin. But I, and I didn't say this, but I hope you understand that it wouldn't matter. What, whatever it is, whether you're talking about greed or covetousness or gossip or, or, uh, or lack of compassion or unwillingness to, you know, whatever it is, that it would be, it would be that same principle. It's destructive to us. It's harmful to us. And the second uh, motivation, if you will, for God declaring something sinful is because it's dishonoring to him. Because every time you and I sin, every time a person uh, engages or indulges in a sin, we we essentially are saying one of two things. We're either saying that uh, we know better than God, I'll enjoy this, or this will be, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to uh, tell that person off, but they deserved it, and and I feel better for for doing it, or or whatever the case may be. Uh, We're either saying we know better than God, or we're essentially saying, I don't care. I don't care whether God says it's right, wrong, whatever, or I may know he says it's right or wrong, but I want to do it. it. Yeah, it's probably never happened to any of y'all, but I have struggled with that before. So uh, sin is destructive to us and it's dishonoring to God, okay? That's why God declares something sinful, all right? All right, second idea that we did share last week. We know what God did do. We know what we shouldn't do, and we know what God did do, don't we? Am I turning that into a tongue twister? It's going to get better. Okay, so what does he say? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, if you, are, if you do stumble into sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That whosoever will, let them come. I, I just happen to believe in that. But it, it's, this, it's this, this is what God did for us. I pull, pulled out those two words, advocate. We walk through what that means. But basically, God stands beside us as a friend, as an advocate, as a person who, who not only speaks on our behalf, but, but cares about us. And he would come alongside and he would not abandon us or bail out. You ever had a friend or somebody bail out on you when things got tough? Or you did something they didn't like, or you, whatever. Jesus Christ will never do, do you understand that? Jesus Christ will never do that to you. He, he stood, but, but then as I said last week, he not only was your advocate, he then stepped from around your side, stepped in front of you and acted as your propitiation. He acted as, as the sacrifice for your sins, for my sins. For, because I could not, I could never pay it myself, right? Why? Because you, you look at Levitical law, you can look at whatever you want. Uh, sin requires a perfect sacrifice. Anybody in this room perfect? Does, don't even bother. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Nobody in this room perfect. And so no matter what we did, even to give our life, it wouldn't be enough to be payment for your own sin. So Jesus Christ became our sacrifice so that we could have a relationship with him. He took what we deserved so that we could receive what we do not deserve. That's an amazing thing. Okay. Those were the two areas we got to. I mentioned the third area last week, just, just so you got it all, uh, but uh, just to mention the heading, but now we're going to dive into it. Here's the third idea. We know what we will do if we really know what God did do. Right? All right, now we're going to read uh, the rest of that, that section we're working on, beginning in verse 3. Listen, that's what he says. We know what we shouldn't do. We know what he did do. Now we know what we will do if we really know what he did do. By this, we know that we have come to know him. If, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, well, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a 
Say it. Liar. Wow, that's pretty strong, John. Is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Didn't he just say that? The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says uh, he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because you because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. That's a lot. There's a lot packed into there. But, but what, what John begins to develop and do, and, and we'll see a little more of this as we go on, uh, next week, Lord willing, but uh, John begins to develop uh, these, these, uh, these tests, you could say, these tests for how you can know that you know him. That you can, this is how you can, can know that you belong to him, that you're, you're a part of him. And he begins to give these tests. I want to say this at the beginning. Uh, there's a couple ideas that we're going to look at. Uh, they're, they're all pointing in the same direction. In other words, uh, all of these things that he talks about should all be in the life of a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. It's not like, well, I'm pretty good at that, but I'm not. No, he, this, this, is, this is what the life should look like. This is how my life uh, should be, okay? Start with this idea. Why is, why is John pressing this idea? Why is he pressing this idea of knowing him? And he, he's, he said it over and over again in here, and you're going to find as we make our way through this letter, he's going to continue to say it over and over again. And I'm going to begin to sound like a broken record to you, but for some reason, John keeps pressing this idea of knowing him, knowing him, knowing him. This is how you can know him. Why would John press that idea so much? It must be because there are people... Who are, who are professing Christ, but who do not possess Christ. It must be that there are people, even in John's day, who were claiming to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they, in fact, do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing I can think of. It's the only reason I can think of as why would John continue to say, this is how you know that you know him. This is it. This is how you can know that you know him. And so he, he gives this series of tests, and he begins with, with what, you could, uh, what you could call the, the walking test. It, it's the walking test. It, it is to walk as Jesus walked. It is to keep his commandments. You know that you've come to know him if you, uh, as we're just reading a moment, if you keep his commandments, or as John says in another way, or as you walk as Jesus walked. 
Now, what is the Jesus walk, right? Did Jesus have like a certain way of walking that people took notice of? I, I don't, I, you know, it's not the, like the moonwalk. That was terrible. It was really terrible. It's not the Chuck Berry walk. Y'all remember that one? It's not the John Wayne walk. I can't even do that one anymore. <laughs> what, what is the Jesus walk? Well, he, he's, he's laying it out there. He says, basically, it just means that you're going to act the way Jesus act. You're going to do life the way Jesus did life. That becomes the priority for you. That's what life is about now. It's, it's no longer about you. It's no longer, isn't that why he came? He didn't come for himself. He came for us. He came for the establishment of righteousness, right? So he says, that's your life. That's how you begin to walk. And he seems to make it clear that there were people that, that thought or would say that they know him, but they don't really know him. As John puts it, it's strong. John says they're a liar and the truth is not in them. I know that's harsh, but that's what, that's what John says. And somebody might say, yeah, but, but, but what about this idea of, you know, speaking it, speaking his name, right? Because what, what about that verse that says, uh, uh, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. You're talking about actions. You're talking about doing. But what about that verse? Just says, if you declare Jesus is Lord. That's a good one. Romans 10, 9. A. But the second part of the verse says, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You see, the difference, it, it would appear to me scripturally, the difference oftentimes between a person knowing about Christ and actually knowing Christ can be the distance from the head to the heart. Because you can know stuff up here, right? You can know stuff up here and it not change you. But when you know stuff in here, yeah, no, I, I'm not talking about the physical muscle that's in there. You know what I'm saying? The, the essence of who you are, this, the, it'll change you. I'll give you an example. Now this, some of you, uh, some of you may smoke, okay? So this is not an attempt to throw smokers under the bus, all right? I'm just giving you an example from, from my uh, life experience. Uh, my dad uh, smoked for most of his life, long before I was born. He smoked uh, almost his entire life. I can remember as a little boy, at some point, he stopped smoking cigarettes and he started smoking uh, cigars. As a boy growing up, I can remember two times in my life that my dad tried to quit smoking. And at least back then, I was glad when my dad went back to smoking because he was so... (sighs) Anybody been around a smoker that tried to quit? So irritable, so cross, so... I'll rip your heart out. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, just... And and so I'm like, thank goodness, daddy's smoking again. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not, it's, wrong, it's wrong now, but that's how I, that's how I felt, right? At 71, uh, my dad had a heart attack, a very mild uh, heart attack. And my dad grew up in a generation where he didn't go to the doctor. He never went to the doctor. Uh, so he had to go to the doctor. He was having a heart attack. And so the doctor's trying to gather some medical background, medical information. And so in the course of this uh, meeting, the doctor asks, uh, do you smoke? And my dad said, yes, I smoke. My mom was in the room there with him. And so the doctor turned to my mom and asked her if she smoked. Mom said, no, I don't smoke. And then the doctor said, well, you might as well because his smoking's going to kill you. My dad never smoked another time the rest of his life. Do you understand? Now, he knew it, right? He knew it up. He knew. Everybody knows the risks. 
maybe we think it won't happen to us. We understand that there's a possibility of heart disease and lung disease and, and cancer and high blood pressure. Whatever all can, can go with smoking. Everybody knows that up here. He knew that. He knew that stuff. But when it moved from here to here, it changed him. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what John is saying. Is that's the difference between knowing him and knowing him. Having this relationship with him. It is the walking test. Can I just tell you this? I've said this already before. Say it again. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean we get it right all the time. But it means that, that my li- I'm desiring in my life to walk the way he would lock. How would Jesus engage this person? How would Jesus act at this work situation? How would Jesus uh, treat this person? How, how would that impact this situation? And, and what would Jesus uh, do if he was confronted with this temptation? Or it's, it's to strive to do that. Not in, not in our strength, but, but in his. But it's desiring to walk as he walked. Okay? On more than one occasion, I have been... In the, near, uh, at the death of someone whose eternal destiny was questionable at best. You, you understand what I'm saying? Maybe at a funeral or at a bedside when someone passed away who, you know, just not sure about their eternal destiny. Right? You, you might say that. I have been in more than one situation where, where a grief-stricken family member or well-intentioned friend will say something like this. Well... You know, we, we don't really know what he believed in his heart. Or she, she could have believed in Jesus and we just didn't know about it. To put John's words into today's vernacular, have you lost your mind? Of course we can know. Of course we do know. They lived what they believed. Ladies and gentlemen, we all ultimately live what we believe. And John would say, no, no. If you know him, you walk like he walked. You care like he did. Did You do what he does. That's how you can know that you know him. All right, real quickly. Second uh, test, if you will, is the love test. Um, John uh, goes on in here and he begins to talk about this is... Uh, this idea of love. And he says, he starts out with this idea. He says, now listen, it, remember this. This is not a new command I'm giving you. All the way back in Levitical law, in Leviticus chapter 19, God said, forget about the wrong things people do to you and do not try to get even. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I am the Lord. So it's not a new idea, the idea of love. And John's saying, hey, this is not a new idea I'm giving you. Look what God said all the way back in Leviticus. By the way, if somebody ever comes up to you, because some people want to do this. They want to say, well, in the Old Testament, God was like an angry God. He was a judgmental God. But now in the New Testament, God's a God of love and, and grace. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like love to me. It sounds like grace to me. It sounds like forgiveness. And that's about as Old Testament as you can get. Leviticus. Y'all ever tried to read that? So John says, it's, it's not a new idea. But then again, it is a new idea. It is a new commandment in a sense. And I'm going to give you two reasons why, it's a, in a sense, it was a new commandment. It was a new commandment in the extent to which it reached. Listen, in, in, in Jewish culture, a, a, a sinful person, a person engaged and in, actively involved in sin or whatever it might be, that person wasn't accepted, that person was rejected, that person was hated. Speaking of people being hated, Gentiles, non-Jews... In the Jewish culture, they were despised, they were ridiculed, they were called names, they were made fun of. 
And, and Jesus comes along, and John's seen this, right? John's seen it. Jesus, John was there when Jesus reached out and sat down and had a meal with, with tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were guys, they were cutting in on, they were ripping off people and all that. They were, they were despised by the Jewish culture. And, and Jesus goes, sits down and has a meal with them on more than one occasion. No self-respecting rabbi would ever do that. John was, John was there when Jesus uh, engages this conversation with this Samaritan woman and begins to talk to her about her, her, her sinful life and, and draw her out of that. And, and no, no, no Jew would have sat down and talked with a Samaritan woman. But Jesus did. John was there when the woman caught in adultery was brought to him. And, he, and rather than, than, than condemning her, he, he pulls her out of her sin. See, it, it was a new commandment in the sense that this love was going to, a, to an extent that it had never gone before with the, in the understanding of the Jewish people and oftentimes in our understanding. And it was a new commandment in the length to which it would go. In Matthew, I think in Matthew chapter 18, there's this, there's this great story of Peter coming to Jesus and he says like, uh, Lord, how many times should I uh, forgive my brother if he sins against me? Levitical law required that uh, you forgive a, an offense against you uh, three times. Well, Peter's hung around Jesus long enough to know that he's raising the bar on uh, all those standards. And so, in essence, Peter doubles it and, uh, and adds one for good measure. He says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? I'm sure he's like, seven times? Oh, Lord, I'm getting this. I'm getting it. And I'm sure Peter is blown away and all the rest of the disciples when Jesus says, I tell you, don't forgive your brother seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, there's no, there's no limit to the length that this thing will go. When you really know the love of God in your own life, that love extends out to others. It's just the way it is. It is to love. So John says, that's, if you really know him, that's how you'll love your brother. And let's all be clear. I think we all understand, but let's all be clear. He's not talking about your biological brother, is he? That's, anybody can tell them, maybe sometimes not, but, right? But you, you just, you love your brother, your biological brother. No, he's saying you love, obviously in the context, first and foremost, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are part of the body of Christ. You love them. But remember, in the economy of God, love is not just a sentimental feeling or an affection or, you know, wow, I, I, really, I really love that guy. He's, he's a great guy. No, in the economy of God, love is an action. So to say that I love my brother or I love my sister means that there, there, is, no, there is no length, no limit to the length or the extent to which I will go to love them. I, I'll be there for them. I, I won't give up on them. I'll, I'll minister to them. I'll help them any way I can. It doesn't always mean that I give everybody what they want. Sometimes that's, that's the opposite of love. But, but it means that, that no matter what, I'm in this with them and I'm going to stay with them. And I'm going I'm to help them any way I can. I'm going to sometimes confront them because that's what they need. But it's love and it's, and it's, it's, it's in its full measure and there's no extent or, or length to which it will not go. And I think you say as a natural uh, uh, progression of that, to, to love my brother also means that I'll, I'll love those out, even those outside the body of Christ, even those that are not part of the body of Christ. That's what we try and do at Cross Culture, with some of the things that we try and do in our community. We have a movie night coming up at the end of this summer, outdoor, just things trying to weigh. But it also means sharing with those I care, that, that I ought to care about where they'll spend their eternal destiny, even if I don't know them. It's this love that extends out. It's the love test. And, and, and John says, that's, that's how you know. That's how you know. If you love like Jesus loved, if you walk like Jesus walked. Now, let me, I know I've got to close, but let me say this to you. In case, just in case, you're sitting there maybe a little shell-shocked 
Because in your own mind, as, as you're listening to me go on and on, perhaps in your own mind, you're thinking, I don't, I don't walk as Jesus walked all the time. I don't keep those commandments. I sure don't, not all the time. I, I, don't, I don't love people the way Jesus loved. There's some people that I, that I refuse to forgive. I don't want to forgive them. There's some people that, that just aren't easy to love and I, and I don't, that's what he said. And I don't, I don't do that. Does that mean I don't really know Jesus Christ? Is that what that means? Let me say this to you, okay? First off, keep in mind that John is not writing to people that, that commit sin, okay? I think we can establish the fact, we've talked about this already, everybody sins, right? Again, that's not a license to sin, but everybody sins. He, but he's not talking to those that, that, occasion, that do give in to sin. Not a license, but he's not talking to them. He's talking about people that are, in essence, committed to a life of sin. This is, it doesn't matter. I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what he wants. I, and I don't care. I, I just, I can live my life the way I want. I can do what I want to do. I can, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I believe in God, but I'm, it's my life and I'll do what I want. John says, they're, they're liars. Now, tragically, they're, they're probably lying to themselves, but, but they're, they're just liars and the truth is not in them. But John says, we're talking about the person that, that that is their life. There's no desire for the things of God, no interest in the things of God, no anything about the things of God, Okay. You understand what I'm saying? And then look, as we close out, I think verses 12, 13, and 14 there, uh, John raises, a, he closes out by mentioning uh, three different individuals, if you will. Uh, twice, he, me- he closes it out mentioning children. Twice, he mentions fathers. And twice, he mentions young men. Do y'all remember reading that just a moment ago? And you see it there in verse 12, 13, 14. Did that seem like kind of a, that's kind of a strange thing to me that, that he did there? There's been a, just so you know, there's been a lot of debate and discussion through the years. Why did he do that? Why did he, why did he list three different names? Is, is he talking about the same people? Is he, is he talking about all of us and he just happens to use three different ways to describe us? Is he talking about three different groups of people? Is he talking about maybe one general group of people, the little children, the believers, um, but then he gives subgroups of, of fathers and, and young men? In the end, it doesn't change what John is driving home here is that, that you've got to know that you know him and you know but you know him by keeping his commands, walking as he walked, loving as he loved. But, just so you know, I fall in the camp that tends to think that John is referring, as he closes this section out, to three different groups of people. Little children being brand new believers, very young believers in their faith. Fathers being those that are mature in their walk. They've walked with Christ for a number of years. They've grown up in Jesus Christ. And young men being all of those maybe just in between. Just struggling day to day, trying to do life, trying to get it right, trying to build the kingdom, all that kind of stuff. And so the application more than likely is that John's saying, listen, you may be at different places in your walk with Christ. You understand what I'm saying? He's not writing this to cause people necessarily to doubt their salvation. He's writing to them to encourage them because he says, if this is how your life looks, this is how you're doing, then you know you're on the right track. No matter what anybody else thinks, no matter what anybody else says, maybe you're young in your faith and, and you give in to a, to a sin that, that this more mature person has conquered. It doesn't make them better than you, but maybe they've conquered this in their life already. And so they're doing, they're doing all right. And maybe this is, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle and you're grappling with this whole thing. And you're that, that whole, you understand? 
That we're in different places, maybe different places, but the point is, is that if my desire to truly get up every day and say, God, I, I, wanna, I want you, I want to honor you, I want to I walk like you walked, I want to love what you, how you love. By the way, can you think of the imagine the implications of that for, for marriages within the body of Christ, those that are married? How a wife will treat her husband if she loves him as Christ loves him, how a husband will treat his wife if he, Think of the implications within the body of Christ and how we'll be there for each other and minister to each other and never quit on that, that whole idea. John says, that's how you know that it's real. He's, he's not trying to necessarily cause you to doubt. Every person has to search out their own heart and determine where they are in their relationship with Jesus Christ. But he's saying to you that if this is your desire to walk as he walked, to love as he loved, then that's how you know. That's how you know that you know Being followers of Jesus Christ doesn't mean we're perfect, but certainly there should be a change in us when we come to Christ. Walking as Jesus walked simply means living life the way Jesus would live, making the moral choices He would make, extending love the way He would extend it, and ministering to others without regard for Himself. Those were certainly characteristics of Jesus' life when he was on earth. As his followers, we should exhibit the same characteristics. If we don't do it to gain God's approval, we do it because we've already been approved by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our life is changed as a result of knowing him. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross-culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want you to the cross. I want you Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.